0: <laughs> Mama. Welcome to Parent Talk Podcasts, where experienced parents and expert guests give tips and tricks on making parenting a breeze. Well, at least a little easier. Now, here is your host Genevieve Kyle and co-host Heather Fox.
1: Hello, and welcome to Parent Talk, broadcasting out of the Greater Vancouver area. The intention of this podcast is to inform, educate, and support parents from the early years and beyond. I'm your host, Genevieve Kyle. I'm 42 and expecting baby number two, while my son Alexandre is one and a half years old. Today on Parent Talk, we are talking about toilet training and constipation. So let's go around the table and
2: introduce ourselves. Hey everyone, Heather Fox here, co-host of Parent Talk. I am 40 years old and my son Hudson is also a year and a half.
0: Hi everyone, I'm Tamara. I'm my... uh... 37 year old mother of four I have a six and a half year old four and a half year old two and a half year old and an eight and a half month old three boys and a girl so I um, have a lot of personal experience with kids but I'm also a physiotherapist and I work in pelvic floor and continence issues through the lifespan so young kids up to elderly and uh, women men children teens
2: I'm Laura Patrick. I am a mom of a four-year-old little boy. I am a physiotherapist by trade and the founder and owner of Kids Physio Group, the first private physiotherapy clinic designed exclusively for kids. We have three locations in Metro Vancouver and service kids from the ages of birth all the way up to 18.
1: Well, thank you ladies for being here. So when should we consider toilet training? So generally
0: it's good to think about starting toilet training between the ages of 18 months to 3 years. You really want to recognize that it's very kid specific. You don't want to be following a protocol at all for your kids. You you want to see, you know, kind of when they're physically ready and able to toilet train when they start to show interest like sitting on the potty with the potty. You want to make sure that they are actually peeing and pooping properly and that they have that awareness as well. So, you know, Oh, I have a wet diaper or, you know, if they're tugging at their diaper, maybe they want it to be taken off because it's wet or dirty. Um, You also want to start to like involve your kids in their nappy changing and try to transfer it into the toilet area so that they understand this is where you do your toileting. Um, You want to definitely talk to them about poop and pee and like bring out some things that will show them, you know, why it happens, where it comes from, so they can become very familiar. It's also very important to speak to your children, you know, uh, about their anatomy. So, ensuring you use the right words to discuss where things come from, and um, you, it's always good to kind of start a reward system, something that the kid can identify with. Um, you know, and and feel like they're doing something really good and involve, of course, the whole process, such as, you know, setting up the toilet properly, washing their hands after they use it, um, flushing the toilet. Some kids love flushing toilets, so that can be quite fun. (laughs) And then, you know, like I said before, reading pictures and books that kind of pertain to toilet training, but make it fun, you know, singing songs, finding things that they that they can, uh, again, identify with and, and sort of transfer into that toilet training sort of aspect. And um, leave the bathroom door open for kids because it should be free entry and free exit, so they shouldn't feel closed off to it. So that's always really important as well. And sometimes it's good for them to see you go. And I know sometimes we like to have our own private time when we go to the toilet, but sometimes it's actually quite um, successful, uh, for, to see the kids, you go and and go without pain or without issue. Right. And, um, so it's always really good to then monitor their bowel movements as well. So that kind of leads into things like grabbing a stool chart to kind of, you know, help them understand. You're talking about poop chart, right? That's right. So what's a yeah. poop chart? So the Bristol stool chart was designed obviously a long time ago and you can purchase them or just print one off of the internet and you definitely want to print one off that's fun for kids that helps them understand which poop they have and then they can learn to look at what they've done in the toilet and it's important that they recognize what's what's coming out because sometimes if they have a really thick bowel movement then and that hurt then they can tell you if they can't explain that it hurt then they can show you which type of stool they had that came out so you can kind of recognize oh maybe it's kind of on the thicker side and maybe we need to kind of address that or if it's really mushy and and sort of wet and very loose then you can kind of think well did they eat something funny or were they complaining about their stomach is there something that i should you know be thinking about here? Do they have a bug or is it, um, you know, is that just potentially an allergy related issue or something? So there's the stool chart that actually, um, we have at home is it shows all the six different types of poops and what's the, the kind of good ones, what's the super good ones. And then what's the, you know, not so great ones. And there's happy faces associated or, you know, frowns or sad faces associated with which poop they should be identifying with. And actually, a lot of kids that come and see me, we introduce this to them, and they, we, we suggest they use it all the time, you know, when they're going to the bathroom. And I did with my children, and it becomes a game. Like, I did this one, isn't that great? You know, because it has a happy face, in it and it looks
2: healthy. So they actually learn to know what a healthy poop looks like. Mm -hmm. We, um, we put one up in my son's room after talking with Tamara and she was not in his room, sorry, in his bathroom. Um, (laughs) but after talking to Tamara a little bit about why, um, it's exciting to, um, to talk about your poop Mm -hmm. and for a little boy, it really is. It really is. It really (laughs) is. Um, and I was really surprised uh, at how much he loved, um, to go to his chart right away and and say, oh, look, that one was happy, and it made him feel really good.
1: Mm -hmm. Actually, we are experiencing right now with my son uh, some constipation, and even, like, he cries when he poops. Mm -hmm. But my son is one, right? So, of course, he doesn't go to the toilet yet. So is it an age I should be concerned
0: I think that at any age, you definitely want to think about why it might be happening. Are they really milk? Do they have a milk dominant diet? Is that something that's bothering them? You know, um, if there's pain associated, that can start a, um, a pain cycle, like a recognition of toileting with pain. That's not a really good association that you want to have for the kids. So especially because that can obviously, as you can imagine, um, shut them down to potty training, right? So I think it's important to address early on. And if you start to notice it as a trend for a longer period of time where it goes away for a bit, then it comes back for a bit, that's something you definitely want to address with your physician and kind of... Rule out some of the other issues that may be causing it because there's some fascial issues that can cause like genetic fascial issues that can cause constipation. Same with dietary issues and like anxieties and stuff like that in kids and those those can start really, really early. What about bedwetting? What are some of the reasons it can happen? Well, it's a, there's a lot of myths as to be, what is bedwetting, and and you know, oh, they'll grow out of it as they get older, and you know, most of the time kids do, but there is that percentage, and it seems to be growing that are um, they're not necessarily growing out of it, and um, it can be quite a psychological disturbance for kids as well that can be caused by a physical reason like constipation and this can be, um, become chronic, right. And the kids don't actually grow out of it and that can stop them from doing a lot of fun things when they're older, like having sleepovers or, you know, and then I actually, it can lead to daytime wetting as
2: well. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard, and I might be wrong on this, but something to do with boys and something to do with their development and how sometimes at night that you know, maybe not to expect them to have dry nights as soon as girls and things like that. Is there something that it can be
0: gender specific? Um, just because boys are always known to toilet train later than girls. But I think that it's a bit of a, I mean, we don't have the research necessarily to support those kind of questions. Right. So I think we have to look to what experience kind of tells us and also look obviously to what, Sort of things may be driving it. Like, is there anxieties, or is there, you know, other issues that they may be having that are causing the bedwetting? Sometimes kids just chug a whole ton of water before they go to bed and they don't pee before they, you know, climb into bed, and then you know they have a very deep dream, which can occur, and then they end up wetting their bed, and then they might not ever do it again. So you kind of have to monitor. Well, when is it happening? Is it every night, or is it the nights that? I don't know, maybe they're out playing sport really late and then they drink a bunch of water and don't pee before they go to bed or, you know, did they just have a cold or a flu? I mean, there can be so many reasons, right? So I think it's, I
1: think it's important just to kind of make sure that you, you monitor it, right? So what is exactly child constipation and why does it happen? And um, what are the signs of constipation? So the childhood
0: constipation um, and leakage, actually, because they often go hand in hand, is um, falls under the umbrella of bowel and bladder dysfunctions in children. And um, 20% of the pediatric visits are for incontinence problems. So, and 15% of the visits do end up with GI doctors trying to address what's going on with the bowel dysfunction. And now they're saying 5 million youngsters complain of nocturnal enuresis, which is nighttime bedwetting. So those are big numbers for, you know, a younger population to kind of be dismissed and to not really have that many solutions for. So the urinary incontinence side of it, you can have urinary urgency, frequency, urinary retention, fecal retention, and urgency, fecal... um, frequency, obviously the bedwetting, the bowel incontinence, the pain with defecation, the inability to empty your bowels completely, the excessive gas and abdominal bloating can be a sign. You can have those things as signs and they actually are still pooping. Um, and then obviously the chronic constipation and with chronic constipation, they can still poop, but it's actually like a diarrhea. And so you'll think, Oh, but my kid poops every day but it's the actual consistency that you're concerned about. Right. So that's really important to, to address and monitor because everyone always thinks, Oh, but my kid poops every day. What's wrong with that? But you're not actually looking at on the Bristol stool chart, what type of poop they're having. And um, they don't have pain with it because it's diarrhea. Right. So then you wouldn't think that they are chronically constipated. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, it, it does happen and it's often missed. And, um, you know, the kids that are in this state, often you would notice them having infrequent bowels. Um, Sometimes, you know, they have leakage during the day, you know, oh, I leaked a bit or, you know, I'm running and I leak. Some of those kind of symptoms are Um, talked about. They often have been potty trained at a really young age and this can be because they were required to by their preschool or daycare. Some of the kids can have allergies that obviously they've already found out or allergies that they don't know about. Um, They can occur from change in routine, from different medical conditions like I was saying before like Erlo Danlos syndrome which is a like a fascial dysfunction, a tissue dysfunction, um, can, you can end up with constipation issues and then your family history. So, mm-hmm. and that can be anywhere from, you know, mental health issues to, you know, like I said before, genetic medical issues that are, you know, kind of
1: come down from the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So what role does a physiotherapy play in treatment?
2: A physiotherapist who specializes in working with kids can absolutely help a child who's chronically constipated, particularly when we know that a lot of the underlying issues are being addressed. We do like to find out if the child has already been cleared for chronic constipation, and if they haven't, then we often send kids back to their family doctor to start talking about some of the real underlying concerns, so that might look like getting an x-ray to look and see is the bowel obstructed, or is there what we would call um, a large backup? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe Tamara can talk a little bit about more about what that looks like on X-ray or on ultrasound. Mm-hmm. But if we know that a child is, is being cleared, or at least they're working on clearing up a chronic constipation, then physiotherapy can help start to get a child moving in a way that helps to engage their pelvic floor, particularly if they have not been engaging their pelvic floor properly and have them learn a series of exercises that really support the flexibility or the integrity of the pelvic floor. So that might mean doing a lot more downward dog, teaching kids how to sit properly um, so that they're actually freeing up through their pelvic floor, various different games and activities that are related to um, just supporting a child's core in general, which also looks like a lot of breathing exercises. So what we know in physio is that your diaphragm and the way that you breathe is very impactful on the pelvic floor and the core. And kids, we can we can pick up on um, some in some instances that a child doesn't actually take a really good, solid, deep breath, and that might look like that your child really struggles to blow out their birthday candles, or they struggle with whistles, or any of those blow toys that you can get, or just vocalizing in general. Um, particularly while they're moving, so that can be a bit tricky. So physios are well-suited and well-trained, particularly those who have special interest in working with kids or with pelvic floor, to be able to pick up and um, on some of the, the underlying issues and then provide families with suggestions that they can incorporate on a very regular basis. It's not something that you need to come regularly to physio for, but you, getting educated is the key.
0: Yeah, so as a physiotherapist that um, works in pelvic floor and trained in that aspect, you you definitely want to get some education um, in and around treating children because it's very different than treating men and women for their pelvic floor. So there is... Um, As a physiotherapist, there is courses that you go and you take, which obviously I have done. So as for the x-ray stuff, so yes, the x-ray is something that you definitely want to request from your physician to see if there is a blockage, if you are concerned about the chronic constipation aspect. Some of the things that would lead you to think that is, you know, they have very pellety poop, poop that looks like pellets. Um... Or extremely soft poop and then the s- diameter of their stools being quite large because that would indicate almost like a mega rectum so like quite a bit of stool building up in the rectum before they are actually able to empty and then the pain and with pooping and then of course the having bowel movements less than three days a week would be something that would kind of be like mm, I should probably you know figure out what's going on here As a pelvic floor therapist that works with the spectrum of of kids and adults, what I do is I obviously educate them about the Bristol stool chart, you know, bringing it into your home, keeping it in the bathroom. I educate about all the different things that are necessary to have in your bathroom, the bathroom setup or the toilet setup, rather. A stool is really important. I often recommend the squatty potty. Those can be got anywhere, really. And then we work on a lot of techniques to improve bowel and bladder function. So that would involve the breath work, the relaxation side of it, because a lot of kids are actually not able to relax their pelvic floor. And that's the reason that they are having irritation and difficulty with pooping. Most of us don't relax our pelvic floor properly. Mm -hmm. So, and (laughs) then that would involve, you know... The stretching and you know um, what Laura touched on, like the downward dog. You know, getting kids involved in some fun yoga stuff. So I often recommend yoga cards and playing 52 pick up with them and playing Twister and stuff like that at home. And then if it's quite severe, then you definitely want to be looking into rewards programs um, with the kids. You know, having a sticker chart or something up like that and intake and output charting is important for parents sometimes if it is severe and they are now you know experiencing leakage because of it that would be something that would i would provide and we'd keep monitoring it and like planned toileting you know kind of making it a bit of a schedule so 20 to 30 minutes after they eat trying to have to see if they can toilet you know giving them lots of books to have in the bathroom just access to things to help them First of all, go poop, but also help them kind of feel comfortable in that environment. And then I usually get kids to, if they have lost the ability to recognize, because that is something that does come down the road. So recognize the ability to urinate or to poop. um, I often have them wear a watch that reminds them, like a special watch that reminds them when they have to, that they should pee. So every time they look at the watch, they think, do I have to pee or do I have to poop? you know, and not necessarily to force them to go, but just getting them to learn how to recognize again, because you learn, you lose that proprioceptive awareness of the bowel once it's been expanded. Um, You know, discussing and addressing things with the school is very important and with the teacher, because kids should be allowed to go to the toilet whenever they want. But I know it's a tough one, because sometimes we think they abuse that power. But I don't think that they necessarily do, and so you definitely want to discuss with the teachers and the school how to kind of get around that. Using like tummy massage, teaching tummy massage, um, you know, when they're when they are pooping, doing things like blowing bubbles or the s s like or hissing like a snake. Yeah, just kind of things that are gonna make it fun. And I use ultrasound, so real time ultrasound to assess the kids. So. Transabdominally, kind of like when you go and get one done, you know, when you're having a baby, that's sort of the same idea, and I try to teach the kids, even at quite a young age, what their pelvic floor is, and you can, you know, you teach them where their bladder is, and you can also kind of have a look and see how, how the bowels are, and if they are blocked up. We don't diagnose with that ultrasound, so I don't ever state whether or not I you know, I see a mega rectum or anything like that. We just sort of use it as a biofeedback technique for the kids and for the parents to help them see what's, what's going on as well. And the kids actually tend to do really well with it. They tend to, you know, like to see that their, their floor lift and relax. And if they don't see anything happening, then I explain why that might not be happening and why they're holding and why, what they need to do about that, which is work on the relaxation and breath aspect. And then, you know, of course, in a physiotherapy assessment, you want to look for other things that may be causing it. That can be, you know, sort of um, thought of by their t- taking their history. We do quite a significant subjective history and objective. So objective being, you know, I look at their posture. Do they have scoliosis? Do they have other things going on? Have they had multiple sport injuries, any concussions? Because having head injuries can actually cause constipation as well it's complicated so I won't get into it but it's it's more durally and uh, neurologically related so all of those things are important to discuss especially with the older kids that may be experiencing it so that's kind of how it's applied and then what I do is I usually you know see if they know how to connect to their pelvic floor what that means to them and also to their core and um, if they don't really have a awareness or understanding than I do suggest and I have a referral base with kids physio group and I try to get them in there into a bit more of a funner environment where they can play and jump and be on all the equipment and using the fun toys that they have there to kind
1: of learn about it so and then we obviously co-treat so if you're a mom and you would like to use those poop charts, where can we find them there's an excellent one on the website called
0: bedwettingandaccidents.com. They have free downloads on that site, and there's one that you just type in your email address, and then they'll send you the PDF. That's the one I use in our kids' Mm -hmm. bathroom, and I think that's the one that Laura uses. We have
2: them up in the bathrooms of um, all the clinic washrooms as well, and so we've been able to use it to educate the broader spectrum, including um, our location in North Vancouver, which we share with Jump Gymnastics, and that washroom is used by hundreds of kids and families every week, and we leave it up there so that it's in more of a public setting to, so that we're um, really trying to provide that level of education to families because a lot of parents will look and be like, oh yeah i've never seen I've never seen this before."
0: Yeah.
2: what and is I, this all about so And I
0: think the resources like education is key. so mm-hmm. you know there's there is a lot of resources on their website. Dr. Hodges is a pediatrician in the states who has seen a number well thousands of these cases. And so he really started looking into, well, why are kids leaking? Why are they bedwetting? And a lot of them have been as a result of constipation. And so he actually has his website and he has a couple great books and, you know, Jane and the Giant Poop is one of the illustrated books he has for kids and, and some other ones and, um, some downloads that you can actually find like for toilet training and for, you know, to give even if you don't feel comfortable talking to the teachers and stuff about it, then giving those to the teachers, they have some things coming out soon, like packages that you can give to the schools and the daycares so that they understand, you know, the toileting, the importance of toileting. Cause we don't, people don't learn about that in their education a lot. Another great website called eric.org.uk. I think basically the, the bowel and bladder, um, charity for children and it's out of the UK and they have some really good pamphlets that you can download as well and you can go and actually make a donation and then they they can send you a whole bunch of pamphlets and great information too so the information not super easy to find
1: but these are the kind of top two websites I would say to go to for that okay that's great so I guess if you're a mom or dad and you're worried about your child's constipation so it's a good way to Follow the chart and it's a good way to find out, okay, I need to go see someone about this. I need to talk to my doctor about this. I need to go see a physio. So it's a good way to to yeah. help recognize there's maybe a problem here. Yeah. And the first step would be your
0: physician, obviously, because mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you rule out a lot of the potential medical issues that may be causing the constipation. Mm-hmm. and um, And then definitely involving a physiotherapist who's trained properly to... To assess and manage kids would be a great idea as well um, because it just helps with all the extra
1: tools and musculoskeletal side and, you know, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So Tamara and Laura, because you guys are moms, can you talk to us about your personal experience?
2: Yeah, so my my four year old he um, he was toilet trained very easily at two and a half. showed all of the main you know signs that he was very interested in going to the toilet on his own. So he you know he was pulling at his diaper and didn't like a wet diaper. Certainly was never uncomfortable pooping or anything like that. So a very normal experience. For whatever reason, really resisted going poop outside of our home anywhere. So he became one of those three and a half, four-year-olds who would hold his poop until he was home, and in a lot of cases, he was only pooping um, three times a week. Um, so it was sort of a trend that I was concerned about, being a physiotherapist. And I reached out to Tamara and asked, like, should we, should I be considering? Is this is actually is this the start of constipation? And she was absolutely, hands down, yes, this is the start of constipation. And that was just this past summer. And right away, we started um, a reward system with him. And it looked like a homemade poop chart that was the entire calendar of the month of September. And we used his favorite uh, stickers from few different sticker books that he had it was um, not the poop head ones you know the emoji <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he,
1: yeah he loves that <laughs> I, <laughs> I know sure. it's really popular right now um, <laughs> so the poop head stickers
2: yeah <laughs> and so he knew that when he um when he pooped and he got to look we put up that poop chart um the bristol poop chart and is in his bathroom and afterwards he was analyzing well was that uh soft ice cream poop or was it a mushy blobs or a smooth snakes? And he was really proud of himself. And so it all of a sudden really switched his perspective about poop. And um in addition, I want to make sure I really highlight too that we made sure that he had a really good setup. So he had a great toilet seat so he wasn't hovering over the toilet any longer um, or holding onto the sides. He was able to relax through his pelvic floor and then his feet were on a stool. Um, and that really helped. So all of that combined, basically, we were able to get him out of a what looked like the start of constipation into now a child who poops every day and is starting, believe it or not, to poop outside of our house, wherever he needs to go. So that's a success. And that can happen really quickly. Mm-hmm. I guess when you're out, you don't have this tool, like you, don't, you know, you yeah. kind of need to adapt a little bit to... Uh... That's right. Especially for a child who's transitioning to, um, you know, starting kindergarten next year. It's something that we wanted to make sure that we were instilling some good habits and not placing any fear around, oh, I don't have my stool or I don't have this. So we want to make sure that um, we're that's what we're working on from now until September of next year. That's good. For you, so Tamara. For me, um,
0: I've had all different variety of poopers. So, because <laughs> I have four <laughs> children. <laughs> Super and, mom. <laughs> yeah, so I've, I do um, my first... It wasn't completely potty trained until he was four, meaning that he still had issues with poop. He would hold, he would, you know, do anything. So I just always um, tried to promote it being fun and um, I also allowed him just to wear a pull-up. When we were out, just in case, um, and so that there was no fear around it or, you know, kind of a feeling of feeling shamed because, you know, he didn't want to use a toilet or whatever. Um, And of course, I discussed it with the, you know, preschool and whatnot. And eventually he came around and he's, he's absolutely fine, daily, routine. I mean, you can vary in your routine, as we all know. But like, he's more of like late afternoon, so that's great, right? Whereas my other two were my other two boys are morning, and my daughter's all over the place. But <laughs> yeah. you know, she's only eight and a half months, so you can't oh, yeah, really no, no, no. determine that yet. But even she has had constipation issues through through her eight and a half months on Earth, um, and so you know, just keep monitoring them as she starts, she's been trying lots of new foods and and that kind of stuff. But with the four and a half year old, he's been, he potty trained very early. He was two, um, because he had a big brother to follow. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And, um, I've always been an advocate of, you know, the kids wanted to stand to peace. So that's fine. I mean, it made a mess, but that's just life. And I was always an advocate of them doing it on a proper throne, you know, not a little mini potty because they... They really learned the association, and the comfort with being on a, a proper toilet. And, of course, the setup was, you know, sometimes it was two stools because their little legs were so small, right? So they, it's important that their legs are propped up so that their their knees are uh, greater, or their hips are greater than 90 degrees. So that's important for them to have a proper pelvic floor relaxation when they poop. So... Sometimes they'd get quite, you know, they'd be climbing a tower to get through the toilet, but it was okay. And then my two and a half year old, um, as I was talking with you guys earlier, he was a tough one in the beginning, but he's already potty trained. And initially my, um, as you can imagine, three kids later, you sometimes get frustrated with the whole toilet trading thing. And my husband was using a little bit more of a disciplinary approach and, and it definitely wasn't working. Silas was just resisting and. So, um, I just said, Hey, you know, let's just try to leave it and see what happens. And, um, threw some Cheerios in the toilet and he thought that was kind of cool. And then it started, then he started to just develop his own interest again quite quickly. Cause I think he was ready. And then now he's completely potty trained himself basically. So every kid's different, but it's important to recognize you don't want to use a heavy-handed approach with potty training. There should be really no deadlines, like this kid should be potty trained before my next baby type thing, or because when the baby comes, it could regress, and they could be back in diapers, and that's disappointing for them, and it can we don't sometimes recognize that they do have little psyches as well, and they sometimes they just want to please us and do good things, and so... When that reverses, sometimes that can be upsetting just as much for them as it is for us in a way, right? As mm-hmm. an inconvenience for us. So, yeah.
1: Are there uh, resources for families out there?
0: So a bunch of them that I spoke to earlier, the bedwettingandaccidents.com website, Dr. Hodges, that's his website. He's the pediatrician in the US. Um, he has a couple great books along with um, some some of the um, graphic books for the kids and a lot of the free downloads are there. Same with the eric.org.uk uh, website. Um, and then if you are in, a, like if your kid is struggling and, you know, if it's been diagnosed with the physician and the x-ray has been confirmed and you have to use, um, you know, any type of laxative or, or they call it a peg or um, enemas or anything, there's a very supportive website, private sorry, private group on Facebook that Dr. Hodges runs that, um, you can request to be a part of if you feel, um, that you need that support and may need to ask questions and he actually answers your questions. He takes the time to do so. So it's wonderful. Yeah. Mm. So, and of course, if you think you need something, you don't know what direction to go, then you can always, um, you know, shoot me an email or, you know, Laura
1: mm-hmm, and you know mm-hmm. we can kind of try to point you in the right direction, right? So we can find you, Tamara and Laura, on our panel of expert at ParentTalk.ca. So where else can we find you?
0: I work in private
1: practice
0: out in White Rock at Diane Lee and Associates. You can come and see me there.
2: And Kids Physio is um, in three locations in Vancouver, so we're on uh, right in sort of central East Vancouver on Fraser Street. And we've got another location in North Vancouver, just over the Second Narrows Bridge, and in Surrey, near the Guildford Town Centre. And those locations each have um, four or five physios per location, all that are very happy to support kids' constipation or pelvic floor issues. Great. So, Heather, I think it's
1: time for a conversation card.
2: It's time for a conversation card. Every week we like to play a game, not only for fun, but to get to know our guests a little more, too. Nobody knows what the mystery card might ask. Sometimes silly and sometimes serious. Let's find out what it will be this week.
1: Can you please pick one and read it to us?
2: All right, ladies, here's our question of the day. What would you do for fun if you had to give up TV and or electronic games? Well,
0: I don't watch TV (laughs) and I don't play electronic games. Um, Yeah, me (laughs) neither. There you go. hmm. (laughs) So what do you do for fun? Because you don't do those (laughs) fun things. I I love to play with my kids and do crafts. I also love to run by myself. So I do that. (laughs) Um, I also am trained in Pilates and I love just going downstairs to my in-home clinic and messing around on that and figuring out new things to do and maybe, you know, use my patients as guinea pigs sometimes. (laughs) I mean, I mean, I love to, you know, I love the ocean, ski, snowboard, whatever, you know, lots of things, but it usually involves the kids and my husband. So, Mm
2: -hmm. yeah. And for you, Laura? I think most physiotherapists would say... Exercise. <laughs> We're pretty passionate about that. But for me, fun, oh goodness, yeah, I love hanging out with my little guy and certainly unplugging, being away from my computer and away from the business side of things. I actually love to read, but typically I plug in to read because I find that I can get uh, a little more reading done through audiobooks. So I probably love to just, I, I realize that I'd be plugged into a device but it's technically <laughs> still reading right yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> and for you Heather um for me I have a huge passion with yoga so um whether it be a, a traditional yoga class or a yin class or there's just so many different styles that I love and um so yeah definitely yoga and Pilates are definitely a way that I love to be able to kind of escape and of course play with my son that's definitely mm-hmm. a given <laughs> definitely fun but if I want to do something more just for me and have me time it's definitely yoga
1: Mm-hmm. in the same lines definitely family time it's a priority if I'm not uh, looking at my computer but uh, if I'm not editing <laughs> uh, for me I love hiking it's always my to go I think it's great low impact great on your body postpartum and everything right so um, hiking is um, what I like to do when I'm not plugged Alright, thank you uh, Tamara, thank you Laura, and thank you Heather for being here. Thank you for your contribution into other parents' lives, helping us be the best parents we can be. For our listeners, if you have a question or you would like to join us on our show as a guest or as an expert, please visit the contact us section on our website at parenttalk.ca. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Podbean. Or you can subscribe directly to this podcast on our website so you don't miss an episode of Parent Talk. Don't forget to rate and review us. Remember, there's nothing more powerful than feeling supported by a community of parents by sharing your thoughts, ideas, and experiences. Parent Talk is a safe space for everyone. Thank you, everyone, for listening and have a great week!
2: The views and or opinions of the host and their guests are not necessarily those of Parent Talk and should not be considered as fact. The information offered is believed to be accurate but is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice and should not be used for diagnosing or treating any health issue or prescribing medication. If you have any questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your child, please seek assistance from a qualified healthcare practitioner.